Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. What's up, Chicago? I'm Sarah Stark, in for Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. Recently, I went to an open mic night at Dorothy, a lesbian cocktail lounge in Westtown. It was part of a series called Fruit Salad. The organizer, Rain Thomas, wanted to create an event series that centered queer community, hence Fruit Salad. The vibes were incredible, and every single person in the bar was wearing a mask. Now, Rain didn't always require masks at Fruit Salad, and when people asked why, she realized dropping a mask requirement didn't feel right to her. That's part of queer history and queer politics is that we are the ones who are going to keep us safe, especially when we are thinking of very large um, health issues. And one simple thing that we can do is requiring masks. So masking is now part of a layered approach to COVID safety for this event series. We uh, partnered with the Clean Air Club, who has been incredible in providing an air purifier for our space even before we went to mass required. And um, we did go mass required about three months ago and I've seen some really great support and turnout. We'll come back to Clean Air Club in just a moment, but I also want to mention another spot in the city that's focused on this so-called layered approach. That's a poetry reading series hosted by Caroline Watson. Because I offer, require the masks, I've built an even bigger audience because more people feel safer coming to the show. And that's the best feeling in the world. Caroline and Rain both talk about COVID precautions as an accessibility issue. And they both want to create a sense of belonging at the events they plan. With those conversations in mind, I sat down with a philosophy professor named Emily Dupree to talk about her passion project, Clean Air Club. Clean Air Club is a DIY volunteer organization that provides free air purifiers to Chicago artists and touring musicians so that their shows are COVID safer. I say passion project because this was personal for Emily. Her partner caught COVID at a concert despite wearing a mask, and she started to realize there was a gap she could fill. If we're going to meaningfully reduce the disease burden in the country and around the world, we have to target indoor air quality. In general, air cleaning is just a highly effective and I think underappreciated strategy. In less than a year, this has snowballed into something much bigger. Clean Air Club was the first organization of its kind I'd come across, and it has inspired more than 20 other organizations to join the effort. Now, I want to get back to the people at the center of this. Emily and I started by talking about who she wants to serve. A lot of people who are still COVID cautious have been highly disempowered by the environment of indifference that we exist in. Many people, including our government, have declared that they've moved on from something that in reality still exists. It's a loneliness that makes one feel isolated, not just socially or in practice, but also isolated ideologically and isolated in your values of safety and accessibility. So one thing that I have heard from the at this point thousands of people that have gone to clean air club events is that they 
for the first time in four years, have felt a sense of community with other COVID-cautious people Mm. where they didn't have to choose between their values and their desire to be um, out at a social gathering. Um, They could instead have both of those things at once, which I think is the foundation of real community. Yeah. I love that. I think a lot about what it means to like live in alignment with your values. So I love hearing that that's some of the feedback that you've gotten from people is that like your work is helping them, you know, be social and do fun things while living in alignment with their values. Um, Yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about that feedback that you've gotten from artists and performers and audiences. Um, What stands out to you there in terms of how people have received the work you've been doing? When I think of feedback, I think about the different kinds of people who connect with the Clean Air Club mission. So there are artists, there are fans, there are also um, people who work at these venues, Mm, for mm -hmm. example. And the feedback across the board is quite positive, but each of those different categories of people has something slightly different to say. So when it comes to the artists, the feedback I've gotten um, is that they don't feel alone in an industry that has abandoned them. Mm. I also have data now. We've had over 30 tours and seven international tours. And as far as we know, um, nobody on a Clean Air Club tour has gotten COVID, which is a very unusual statistic given the extremely high rates of COVID infection for touring musicians these days. So that's a sort of concrete feedback that I've gotten as well as feedback about the emotional support that they feel from just having free access to this gear. In terms of fans, the feedback we've gotten is that finally an arts community that gives them life, that gives them purpose, is open to them again. Mm -hmm. So um, disabled people, for example, and immunocompromised people have been entirely shut out of public life for four years. And so to finally be able to go to an event where everybody has a mask on, where you know the air is being cleaned uh, (laughs) vigorously, that's right. That's an incredible experience. Community is is part of the human experience. And to be disenfranchised from that is really painful. Mm. Um, Lastly, in terms of the feedback that I've gotten from venue workers, it is that venue workers, at least who are working at shows that we're purifying the air for, have some peace of mind when they're at work, right? Everyone who's working is trying to make a living. And the irony of COVID is that if you try to make a living in public, especially in public indoor environments, you are at risk of disability and in some cases death. So there is this inherent conflict that all venue workers are facing regarding the the safety of their job and the precarity of their health in the midst of that job. So again, it's all very positive feedback, but I think there are important dimensions to every role that exists in this larger arts community. You you know, the advocacy that you're doing is very centered around COVID precautions specifically, but where do you see that intersecting with advocacy work around other 
issues. So COVID is a public health issue that intersects with all other social justice issues, in my opinion. Um, It intersects with race in many really important ways that I think we are obligated to confront. Um, For example, in Chicago, uh, all the statistics show that black Chicagoans have had and continue to have higher death rates and higher disability rates due to COVID infections. Mm -hmm. We also know that black Chicagoans and all black people experience neglect and medical uh, racism when they try to seek care. Um, and have, as a result, worse medical outcomes. Um, So that's one of the many ways that it intersects with racial justice issues. Um, It also intersects with disability justice, of course. I already mentioned that disabled people have been shut out of public life. And um, our... The general disposition in our country these days is that the lives of disabled people are a cost that we're willing to pay in order to get back to normal. And I just Mm -hmm. vehemently oppose this ideology. I I think nobody is disposable. And so if we can make spaces safer, then that means we are affirming the value of all people in our community. Um, Not to mention the fact that COVID has created a new a brand new population of disabled people Mm -hmm. who were not disabled prior to the pandemic. All of the most recent medical research on COVID shows that it does a, um, it it damages the body in many ways along all major organ systems. And the statistics on disability rates in the country support this finding, which is that disability is skyrocketing Um, And people are increasingly unable to work. And so, again, this goes back to the labor issue. Um, So there are all sorts of ways that everything is intertwined here. I I just want to mention one more, which is that COVID is also a feminist issue. Mm. So we already know that um, unpaid care labor falls disproportionately on women and femmes. And with this increasing disability burden in the country, that care burden is now falling on the shoulders of women. What are the stakes for you when it comes to the work you're doing? That's a really good question, and I think it's important for us to establish a shared understanding of where we are at in the fourth, fifth year of the ongoing pandemic. So um, many people have moved on. They've sort of, they think of the pandemic in the past tense. But the reality is that people continue to die and become disabled as a result of COVID. We've now had four years to study the effects of COVID on the Mm. body. And um, far from COVID being like a cold or a flu, what researchers have discovered is that it is extremely harmful to our long-term health. Um, There are impacts on long-term cognitive functioning. There are 
impacts on maternal health and on the health of newborns. There are impacts on child neurological development, on respiratory function, on vascular function, Mm -hmm. right? We've had years to learn this. So what has emerged is a picture of a disease that has a two-part structure. So there's that initial period of sickness that does resemble cold and flu in some ways, but then more importantly, from my perspective, is the much longer tail of how COVID impacts long-term health. Mm. So when you ask about what are the stakes of really getting a handle on COVID transmission at public arts events, it's to get, it's to interrupt chains of transmission that are impacting people's long-term health in very serious ways. Uh, you've taken on this work for some local shows. And there's also, like, you are, from my understanding, powered by volunteers. Is that true? Uh, it's 100% volunteers. Yeah. Wow. So, so like, there's only so much that you and the folks who volunteer for Clean Air Club can do. Um, and you're doing amazing work. But I know you also, you talk a lot about wanting to see air quality standards change across the board. And... I'm curious to hear what that, I mean, what that looks like for you. Yeah, um, so Clean Air Club, I think is best understood as a harm reduction strategy in the midst of widespread government failure. Mm. So we have taken up a task that is more appropriately centered in the state, Um, but the state has failed. And I mean, the federal government, the state of Illinois, um, and, you know, all representatives on down to the most local level. Public facilities have a legally recognized obligation to ensure the health and safety of their patrons. Mm -hmm. I think a really good example of this is the way that clean indoor water mandates Mm. were introduced to um, (laughs) the introduced to the United States and, of course, around the globe. Um, Clean indoor water mandates were rightfully viewed as a question of public health, not individual responsibility. And so implementing the infrastructure required to create passive cleaning of indoor water was one of the greatest public health achievements of the 20th century. Mm. Similarly, Clean Air Club is working within the midst of a failure of our government to recognize the same thing is true for indoor air. Um, The federal government has issued, actually for the very first time, non-binding guidelines regarding indoor air quality. This came from the CDC last year, and they recommended that the air be cleaned five times per hour. We regard this as a bare minimum. In fact, there are other um, building codes that specify um, even more vigorous cleaning of the air that we support instead. But notice this is just a recommendation. Um, The government has not mandated clean indoor air. And I think this is a failure on a par with the failure to mandate indoor clean water prior to um, the emergence of Uh, cholera being solved in the early 20th century. So there's this failure of the social contract that we have with um, the people who are supposed to represent us. Mm. I'm curious 
what in the work that you're doing is giving you hope right now? Because I mean, I imagine you wouldn't you wouldn't keep doing this if you didn't have hope. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, there's so much power in just deciding that you've had enough and that you yourself are going to try to make a small difference. Getting to see the proof of that in the work that Clean Air Club has done so far gives me tremendous hope for the power of what's possible as we navigate year five now of this mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. The other thing that really gives me hope is all of the relationships that I've made since starting Clean Air Club. Mm. These are people who genuinely share my values, who expand my values and um, sort of raise the bar for me as well. And in a landscape of social isolation, that's an incredibly powerful thing. There are It turns out thousands of people in Chicago who care about making arts events safer. And I am now getting the privilege of connecting with them. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. I'm I'm glad that you are amid really valid frustration, that you are also getting to like have those moments of connection that hopefully make it worth it enough. Oh, absolutely. And one of the one of the early quotes, I, I think it was from Miriam Kaba, who's a wonderful thinker and organizer that I came across and was actually instrumental in me deciding to start Clean Air Club, was this phrase that she heard from her grandfather all the time, which was, you seem very upset about this. What are you going to do about it? Mm. And so that kind of transformation of distress into something liberating and empowering and um, forging connections with other people out of that distress has been a really life-changing experience for me and shown me that the way forward is always going to be together in accessible spaces. Emily Dupree is the founder of Clean Air Club and a professor of philosophy. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you so much. To learn more and to check out upcoming events with Clean Air Club, you can head to cleanairclub.org. And that's it for today. Justin Bull and I produce The Rundown, and Ariel Van Cleve edits the show. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR network. And we love hearing from you. Email us with your thoughts, questions, and what you want to hear on the show at therundownpod at wbez.org. I'm Sarah Stark. Thanks for listening.